Glad to see you folks here tonight. The Lord gave us a good service this morning. I had a feeling it was going to be good because the Lord had blessed my heart in preparing it during the week. So tonight we land upon Mark 9, the ninth chapter of the book of Mark. So let's read uh, all about this uh, Mount of Transfiguration down to verse 9, and then we'll stop and go back and talk about it, and then we'll continue on. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, It is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning with one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Let's bow our heads. Father, this is a wonderful portion of thy word, and we ask you to bless our reading it, bless our talking about it, and teach our hearts about our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, there are so many wonderful things in thy word that we're going to comprehend tonight in this teaching. We pray for these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. There are just great things happening here in this little story, in this verse. For one thing, the very first verse puzzles a lot of people. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Who were they? Who were they that shall stand some of them? It's Peter, James, and John. How did they see the kingdom come with power? Exactly the way the Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear with his saints, with transfigured bodies, with resurrected bodies. They saw what will be in the future. The Lord with his people with resurrected bodies. That's exactly it. That's the power. That's what's going to happen. But turn to 2 Peter 1.16. 2 Peter 1.16, and let Peter was so taken away with it that this is what he describes to you about the kingdom of God coming, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with power. 
He says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, he's not talking about the Lord coming back again, but it's similar to that. He saw the, say, the practice run. He said, We made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. You see how that all ties together? Peter goes over that. He was there in the holy mount and saw the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 2 has also been interesting in uh, some degree. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Let's talk about this after six days. Why is that written there? You know, it's in, uh, it's in Matthew, too. In Matthew, it says the very, let's say, Matthew 16, 28. Let's have a peek, see if that's the scripture. That's what they got down there, cross-reference. Matthew 16. Uh, Matthew 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother. Okay. Now, that both of them say after six days. What's that? That's the seventh day. After the six days is seven. What does that spell out to you in the formulas given in the scriptures? Six days God created everything there was, rested on the seventh. Peter says over in Second Peter that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. According to that, there will be 6,000 years of mankind, and on the seventh will be a thousand years of rest. That's when our Lord Jesus Christ comes back to rule and to reign with his saints and with his angels. So when it says, after six days, you've got the, the beautiful picture. After the 6,000 years of mankind, are we close to it? You were very close to it. 4,000 years up until Christ and almost 2,000 years since. We're in 1993, give or take a few years on either side for our mistakes, but we're very close to finishing out the 6,000 years of mankind before the Lord comes back to rule on that 1,000-year Sabbath the Lord rested on the seventh day. So that's why that's in there. But... If we turn over to Luke, we see him mention it just a little bit differently in Luke 9. Luke 9. Verse 28. Now Luke doesn't say after six days, which is seven, but he says, and it came to pass about... About an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, 
John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. Now you see, Mark didn't say that. Matthew didn't say that. But Luke does. So now like Paul Harvey, here's the rest of the story. They took him up into a mountain to pray. Here's Peter, James, and John. Well, this would be a chance to take a snooze. You see, in verse 2 of Mark 9, it says, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, as if this all, just as soon as they got there, that's what took place. No, the rest of the story is over here in Luke. He went up into the mountain to pray, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, of his death coming up, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, what was Peter, James, and John doing while our Lord was praying? They were sleeping. Look at verse 32. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. So they did not see the change take place in the Lord Jesus Christ. When they woke up, they saw him transfigured. When they woke up, they saw Moses and Elijah. Peter, James, and John had quite a little history of this falling asleep. They did it in a garden, too. How can that happen? They're just normal people. They're just tired individuals who did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They had Christ with them, nothing indwelling them. Since the resurrection, God's Holy Spirit indwells believers. He did not indwell the disciples. They fell asleep, okay? All right, now, now if you know the story, that they're asleep, and then they wake up and see. Now we can read over here in Mark and read the story clear. In verse 4 says, And there appeared... Well, let's stay with verse 2 just for a second. And he was transfigured before them. Some of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ shone through. Just why he did that, maybe to totally impress Peter, James, and John, I don't know. Did his glory have to shine through in order for him to converse with Moses and Elijah who had resurrected bodies. I don't know. Don't say that their bodies were like that. It just says that he was. His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow so that as no fuller on earth can white them, as white as white could possibly be. So this has never happened to anybody else. This is only the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ shining through a little bit 
And verse 4 says, And there appeared unto them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And over in Luke, it tells us that he, they were talking to him about his coming crucifixion, about his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. They were encouraging the Lord that even for themselves, even Moses and Elijah were looking forward to having their sins paid for. They were looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ paying for the sins of the church. Yet they had their resurrected bodies. See, Elijah never did die. His was changed. Moses died. He was raised. He has a resurrected body. This is miraculous. This is something people don't, don't stop and talk about. Here come two folk that already have the resurrected bodies. Where do they come from? They came from heaven. How far is heaven? You can't measure it. It hasn't been measured by the best telescopes that we have, and the best telescopes go into millions of light years. They not only came from heaven, they went back. What's it tell you about the resurrected body? Got some kind of power, huh? That's just a little bit of having eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Such wonderful, wonderful power is that. You've got to think about it. You've got to meditate upon it. You've got to spend plenty of time thinking about that. Both Moses and Elijah were people with flesh and blood like you and I. One was raptured and one died and was raised again. What's the purpose of that? Well, they're not finished yet. God's got a plan for them. God's still going to use them during the tribulation. And the whole 11th chapter of the book of Revelation is about Moses and Elijah. They are the two witnesses. They're both going to be killed. And they're both going to be raised again in three days. And the whole world's going to see it and know it because the TV cameras will be on them. And their bodies will lie on the streets of Jerusalem. These are amazing things that are yet to happen. But here's Moses and Elijah coming to talk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how close he is with his saints. Verse 5, And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, let's camp out here on this mountain and never go into town, and nobody will ever know it, and we'll have the best time up here you ever did see. For it says, For he wished not what to say, for they were sore afraid. I guess he was. He woke up out of his sleep, and here's Moses and Elijah, and the Lord transfigured before him. They were very much afraid. Let me look back over there at Luke 9 a minute, see if it tells us any more about their fear. In verse 34 in Luke 9, and while he thus spake, that's while Peter spake about building those tabernacles, there came a cloud 
and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. Now imagine that cloud just come down like a heavy fog upon them. What was that cloud? There was a Shekinah glory. That's the cloud that God works in, called the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. It followed the nation of Israel by day as a cover from the sun and at night as a light to give them light at night and also protected them from the Egyptians. They feared as they entered into the cloud and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. That's how Luke finishes it. But back to verse, to chapter 9 of Mark, in verse 8, and suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. They never saw Moses and Elijah appear, and they never saw Moses and Elijah disappear. They were in the cloud when they left, and they were asleep when Moses and Elijah appeared. Maybe that's why Peter doesn't mention Moses and Elijah over there in Second Peter. The thing that takes up Peter's whole mind and memory about the whole thing is that voice that spoke to him out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, hear him. In verse 9, and as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Peter, John, and James talking among themselves. What's he talking about rising from the dead? Well, we begin a new paragraph, but still on that same order. And they ask him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elijah must first come? Why do they say that? Well, look at Malachi 4, 5, and you'll see that it's written in the scriptures that he's going to come. The last couple verses in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament... Second last verse in the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. The Lord said, I'm going to send Elijah. So now let's see what happens in this answer. Verse 12. And he answered and told them, Elijah verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. So that's what was said over there in Malachi. But I say unto you that Elijah is indeed come and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed as it is written of him. What'd they do to him? Well, turn to Matthew 11 and look at verse 11. Matthew 11, 11. Our Lord's talking about John the Baptist. 
And he says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. It's amazing, huh? Why is that? Because they're blood-bought. Because they have been redeemed. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if ye will receive it, if ye will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. So our Lord oftentimes speaks in parables like that, giving you two angles at one person or one thing. He said, John the Baptist could be Elijah coming to set things straight, but we know from the scriptures that Elijah is yet to come according to the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. Let's see, where are we? Okay, now stay in Matthew, but look at Matthew 17, 13. Matthew 17, 13. We read verse 12 also. But I say unto you that Elijah is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Now, isn't that clear? But Elijah's still coming. Still going to come. And Moses with him. Verse 14, Mark 9. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, now the Lord asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You know, that's a beautiful prayer. Man, that's a great prayer. 
that prayer got answered. There was no haughtiness about this thing at all. Lord, I believe, but you know my heart. My heart is so full of unbelief. But if I can just muster up a little of this belief that you're talking about, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deep spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. See, our Lord told that to them many times, very clearly. Men will take him, kill him, and he shall rise the third day. And they couldn't understand it. He wouldn't believe it. Couldn't remember it. Back to this young fellow that had a spirit. You notice how our Lord generally handles every case just a little bit differently. Now the maniac of Gadara, he just merely cast all these spirits out into a herd of swine. And the man was clothed and in his right mind. But here's one that had such a violent fit when the spirit threw him that everybody thought he was dead. He may have been. The Lord may have raised him up again. Demon possession is very mysterious, and I don't claim to know a single thing about it. There are unclean spirits. Here was one, though, that made the person deaf and dumb. But it didn't make him blind. That's something in, in his favor. But that was a wicked spirit, and uh, they couldn't cast him out, even though the Lord had given them power to cast out demon spirits. They couldn't do it. And our Lord said, This one can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now, not by him praying and fasting, but they had to pray and fast. This is amazing. I wonder if anybody's ever tried it, if, if it's ever worked with people to pray and fast and the Lord give them the power to heal. I don't know. I just don't know. But then we find right after that the disciples not understanding, confused but afraid to ask him, what does he mean, rise again from the dead? They didn't ask him. Verse 33. 
And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. How about that? Twelve disciples. Who's going to be the leader of the group? Who's going to be the lead singer here in this group? And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. In other words, I and my Father are one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one in essence even though they are three in personalities, persons, three persons. New paragraph, verse 38. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth, followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. They said, hey, you stop casting out spirits if you're not going to follow us. This was John. But Jesus said, forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. I want you all to remember that. Something just as simple as giving a saint or a person in trouble a drink of water. The Lord says he's going to reward you for it. But, now it's about offending people next. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. This is tough. And if, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Now, where does that expression come from? Our Lord is looking into the situation. Being God and man, he knows exactly what he is talking about. He can see the whole situation in the future. But this is also written in God's word. Turn to Isaiah 66, look at verse 24. Isaiah 66 and verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die and neither shall their fire be quenched, 
and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Who knows how to exposit that? Who knows how to explain it except the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he can see the picture very clearly. He knows what he's talking about. And when he's talking about the fire that shall never be quenched over here in Mark, he mentions it three times. Three times is a definite witness for anything. All you need is two or three witnesses. He says it three times. Verse 45, And if thy foot, first of all, if thy hand, that's the working aspect. The foot is the traveling. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That's two times it's mentioned. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Do you think our Lord is telling you to maim your body? No, he's telling you whatever is your right hand, whatever is your foot, whatever is your eye, whatever you lust after, whatever you want the most, whatever you act for, cut it off. Simple habits that are detrimental, cut it off. If your eye offend thee with lust, don't look. Get rid of the lust. The Bible never talks about maiming your body, but these things are things you have got to get rid of. The hand that works sin, the foot that travels to it, and the eye that sees it, beholds it, and lusts after it. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire's not quenched. That's how serious it is. That's a description of hell. We had it over in Isaiah 66. Our Lord sees the place very clearly. That's why he can say that. What the worm is, I'm not sure. Most commentators, most Puritans say the worm is the conscience. The conscience will never die. It'll continually, continually crawl, scramble, always being in the forefront, always come to mind, I could have come to Christ. I could have not done that. I could have listened better. I could have determined. I could have left my bad company. I could have quit my bad habits. The conscience will always be alive. The worm dieth not. And the hellfire never burns up, but tortures forever. Do we ever see fire in the Bible that didn't burn up something? Yes. When Moses saw the burning bush, it burned and burned and burned and it wasn't consumed. The three Hebrew young men in the furnace that killed the men that threw them in, they walked about in that fire and were never touched. Fire didn't bother them a bit. So you see, fire can exist without destroying. Verse 49. 
And everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. That's a very, very full chapter. We've went from the Mount of Transfiguration into the very jaws of hell. Our Lord's talking about offending the little ones, offending his people, not just kids, not talking about offending children. All of God's people are called babes when they're first saved. That's how John talks about them in his first John back there. I think Peter and Paul both talk about saints being called children, older, especially John, John back there and John. Some serious things here. So when you are offended by friends or relatives or those that just flat don't like you, the Lord takes stock and note of all of those things. Everything you suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ, he suffers right along with you. When he said to Paul, why persecute ye me? And Paul was after some Christians. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the one being chased, being hurt. He loves everyone that he died for with as much love as a mother loves her newborn babe. As parents love their children, you just can't describe the love of God for his people. Well, that's all we'll have for tonight. We covered a whole chapter, and it's a big one. We could have taken a little more time on certain areas there, but we're trying to get through the book of Mark so that we can get to the book of Luke, so that we can get to the book of John. We just love the Gospels, and they certainly do teach our hearts. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon our teaching tonight and upon the reading of thy word. Our Lord, so wonderful, our God-man, Redeemer, able to call forth Moses and Elijah to talk with them, able to be transfigured before Peter, James, and John, order to cast out a demon that nobody else could cast out, just our God, our wonderful, wonderful Savior and Lord. We ask these here tonight to fall on their faces before him, praise him, worship him. Look for him to come, for he will come shortly. We ask for strength to live, power to live each and every day in this wicked world. Tune our hearts out from the world and set them unto thee. Is our prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You're all dismissed. <laughs>